But I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to go with me to Leviticus chapter 26. We're going to wrap up. We're going to be wrapping up the book of Leviticus. Who knows where the Lord is going to lead us next? Maybe to Numbers. But tonight, we're going to go to Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to actually go through the whole chapter. So the word of the Lord says, You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Father, Lord, we have this, this great passage of blessings and curses. And Lord, it's for Israel. But Lord, there are lessons for us to learn, just as your word tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 10, that these things were set out for us as examples, Lord God, that we can learn by, Lord, by those who did wrong, but also those who did right. And that, Father God, we would be wise enough, Lord God, to see, Lord God, the things that we shouldn't be doing and that we should be doing, that, Lord God, your blessings would be upon us. And, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, what we have here in Leviticus 26, you have curses in verses uh, 3 through 13, okay? And there are actually 13 blessings. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Blessings in, in 3 to 13, and there are 13 of them in 11 verses. I'm not going to cover every one. I'm going to kind of uh, put them into a uh, more of a summary. And then the curses, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14 through 16, 36 verses, 98 curses. So the curses outweighed the blessings. So I'm going to go through very quickly the blessings, and um, then I'm going to talk to you about the curses, and I'm going to talk to you really in relationship to Israel. This is for Israel. And this isn't something you can take and apply. You know, this is something, when, when people, things that God was saying to Israel were for Israel. They weren't for the church. And, I mean, you see, you see that right here. Now, there, again, there are lessons to be learned for the church. So you, you have God's blessings. Okay, the first, uh, a blessing upon agriculture. It was an agricultural society. Okay. And in verses 3 through 5, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in season, and land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land uh, safely. Again, a blessing upon the agricultural society. I said this a couple weeks ago. They rely on the soil. And if the soil isn't good, they starve. And this is them, you know, obey me and I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless your soil. I'm going to bless it with rain. I'm going to bless it with the nutrients. And it's going to produce an abundance of crop. Right? If we, we apply this to ourselves and we're looking, when we're obeying God, our grass should be green. But this summer, is there anyone here who has green grass? Because it didn't, your grass is still green while you have sprinklers, and they're working like crazy, right? I have sprinklers, and my grass still isn't green. <laughs> second, second blessing, God's blessing is peace, verse 6. And I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. Just the, the peace of God. And you see that, again, at certain times in Israel's history, one of the 
most peaceful time, 2 Samuel 7, 1, under King David. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. And there weren't too many of those periods. Josiah, Hezekiah, David, the beginning of the reign of Solomon. Most of the, the rest of the time, they were disobeying God, and there was, you know, they were basically living in times of, um, of chaos. The third is God's blessing, victory over their enemies. Verse 7 and 8. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. And again, you, you see that in, you see it with Moses, as you go through, you know, the, uh, the Torah, you see it in Joshua, in the book of Joshua. You see it with David, when David was walking right with God, that God brought victory into Israel, and uh, they were victorious over their enemies. The fourth is God's blessing of his presence. And um, in verse 9 through 13, for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I, I will set my tabernacle amongst you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken their bands of, uh, of your yoke and um, made you to walk uprightly. Again, the promise, if you will obey me, God said, you're going to enjoy my presence in your, in your lives, in your families, in your community. So he gives, he gives those brief blessings. And then the rest of the chapter is devoted to what would happen if they wouldn't obey him, and that was the curse. So um, let's look at this. And you actually see this play out far more than the blessings in the history of Israel. So the first is the curse of disease. And verse 14 you know, through 16, But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat of it. So you see it, you see an instance in the life of David. Later on in David's life, Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 15, this is after he committed adultery, this is after he committed murder of, of, of the husband of Bathsheba, kind of things settled down. David is now, he's on the throne, and um, he basically takes a census. And if you're, you know the passage in 2 Samuel, it's in 2 Samuel and Chronicles, that you look at that and he takes a census, so he counted, essentially what he counted were the fighting men of Israel. And God basically brought a curse upon them. Why? He wanted, yeah, he, God wanted him to trust in him and not in his chariots, his spears, his swords, and his soldiers. So watch, watch what happens here in 2 Samuel tw chapter 24, verse 15. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. 
So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land, or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days' plague in your land? Now consider and see what uh, I answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Bathsheba, and 70,000 men of the people died. The men, you know what, those are the men of war. The very men that he counted. I just want to, I want to say something to you here. If you're a student of history, the sins of leaders will fall upon their people. You're seeing that in America right now. We, we, have, we have a leadership that basically they, they have rejected God. They, they mock God. They're, you know, they, they're, they are basically directly opposed against God. And you can, you can see that with, you know, I mean, everything, the, you know, the abortion issue, you can see it with the sexuality issue, with um, you know homosexual marriage, and it's just a, a, a literally a shaking of their fists in the face of God. And what's happening? The entire nation is paying. You're, you're paying for it. You don't know who you voted for, but you're paying for it. And if you're if you're unhappy every time you go into the gas station and you got to pay an extra dollar for a gallon of gas, you're paying for it. And when you go to the food store and you're, you know, you're paying, what, it's, it's an extra 20 30 50 $100 every time you go into the food, you're paying for it. And you're, 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 you're paying for the sins of, 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 I truly believe an evil king will bring evil upon his people, just as Hitler did, as Mussolini did, as Stalin did, as Mao Zedong did. And an evil leader, and you see that in Israel. And I also believe evil people we'll get evil kings. And I think we've had some evil kings in the United States. And it's really sad because now with executive orders, these guys in the White House, they don't operate as presidents anymore. They, they, go, they go over and above the Congress, the Supreme Court, and the Senate, and they just do whatever they want to do by writing executive orders. And uh, it's, it's just they operate like, like we've, got, we've got evil kings. And um, again, it's, you know, it, it's sad, but they will, right? They will bring a curse upon their people. And you read Proverbs about leadership and about kings. It talks about that. And Solomon, Solomon was very aware of that. Uh, the next is a curse of defeat. So Leviticus chapter 26, 17 through 20, I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for you land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So again, when they are disobeying God, he brings a curse upon them and their enemies would triumph over them. And again, you, you, you see that, right? I mean, very early numbers, chapter 14, 44 through 45, when you see the Lord, right? He, he has Moses send in the 12 spies. The 12 spies come back. 
Ten of them say, there ain't no way we can go in there. We're, we're like grasshoppers. The Nephilim are there. The, the giants are there. We're, we're going to be destroyed. And they, they just spread this, this evil report amongst all the people. Caleb and Joshua stand up and say, we could take it. But as, but as it, it, it happens, God, again, says here, you know what? You're done. Now, you, this entire generation, you're going to go into the desert and you're going to die. And the only ones who are going to enter the promised land are who? Caleb and Joshua and all of the children and the grandchildren of those people. So, there's the, so the people, they start to, to realize that they made a mistake. And they decide, now we're going to go in and we're going to fight the Amalekites. But now God's blessing isn't upon them. So they're going to go on and take on the Amalekites, but they're in a place and in a really in, in a place of the curse. So watch watch what happens. Watch what happens here in verse 44 through 45. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. The curse was upon them. They could not defeat their enemies. You see, you see it again repeated in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 10. So the Philistines fought, the, uh, and it, uh, fought and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. The, the entire book of Judges, okay, is, is just, it, this is just repeated, and this is, this is the cycle you know, read the book of Judges, you see this repeated over and over again. I think it's thir- 13 Judges, 13 times, right, that you see this repeated. So Israel, Israel starts off serving the Lord. And then they fall into sin and idolatry. And then Israel is enslaved. They're, they're invaded, the Moabites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, right? They, they invade them and they enslave them. And then Israel cries out to the Lord. God raises up a judge, right? So he raises up Samson and raises up Gideon. And, and then Israel's delivered. And what do they do? They repeat it all over again. And it's just this, this, this cycle that, that, that some, some people in the church, this is what their lives are like, by the way. They, they, they repeat this, this very cycle. So that, that is, again, it's a picture when they are disobedient, the curse of God falls upon them. So um, I was laughing in my teaching a couple of weeks ago where the Pharisees, they say, we have never been enslaved by anyone, <laughs> right? It's, Jesus, he says, you're slaves. And they said, we have never been enslaved. Right? Jesus is talking about them being enslaved to the devil and being enslaved to sin. But the funny thing about it is this, look, look, this is Israel's history of their disobedience, right? They're conquered and enslaved by Babylon. They're conquered and enslaved by Persia. They're conquered and enslaved by Greece. And then they're conquered and enslaved by Rome in the time of Jesus. And by the way, this is, this is the future uh, revived Roman Empire. We're not there yet. But um, you see that, that, I mean, their entire history was a history of enslavement. And you can, go, you can even go before Babylon, the Assyrians enslaved them, and the Egyptians. Okay? The Egyptian slavery was not because of their sin. But the Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, Greece, and Rome was. The uh, next curse is a a curse of plagues. And it it speaks about a number of things, 21 through 26. 
Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts amongst you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make uh, you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. I just want to, wild beasts shall come and attack your children. Where's an instance where that happened in the Bible? All you bald guys should be uh, blessed for that. Elisha, right? These teenagers came and they started mocking him for being bald. (laughs) The bear came out of the woods and mauled him. I wish I had a bear like that, you know. And And he said, it, it goes on here. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins, and I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant when you are gathered together within your cities. I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I have cut you off, uh, cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by wheat, and you shall eat it and not be satisfied. The, the, word, the word for plague in, in, in the Hebrew, you see that in verse 21, is, it doesn't just speak about disease. It speaks about a disastrous evil or a disastrous uh, uh, affliction or calamity. So you, when I, you know, plagues, wild beasts, sword, pestilence, um, hunger, uh, it could be, you know, more than just an epidemic of disease. But God again says to them, if you are not obeying me, that's what I'm going to bring upon you. And that is, that is true of the history of Israel. Um, the next one is, is diaspora. Who knows? Do you know, who knows what the word diaspora means? It's an important word. Yeah, to, to, to disperse, it, it means the dispersion of the Jewish people beyond, beyond Israel. And this is really important. This is important stuff, especially in the time we're living in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into this a little bit with you, some prophetic things. But uh, in Leviticus chapter 26, 27 through 35, it says, After all this, if you do not obey me but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And uh, I, um, even I will chastise you seven times for your sins, and you shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. By the way, when the Babylonian captivity happened, they were eating their kids. You read the scriptures. That's happened, that's happened with, throughout they, the siege. They would lay a siege. Jerusalem was under siege for a really long time. You know, it was 586 that the, uh, the city fell and they burned, it, they burned it to the ground, but it was really started, it started somewhere around 609. And um, really kind of a, you know, a, a frightening thing. And again, if you study history and the sea, I mean, they would lay siege to a city and it was much easier to lay siege than letting your soldiers go in and die. They just would lay siege and they'd let everybody starve until they gave up. By the way, God was speaking through Jeremiah to the people saying, give up. Like, you, you, you sinned. Now, give up to the Babylonians. Go into exile. You're going, to live, you're going to live in their cities. And eventually, in 70 years, God's going to bring you back. But the ones who refused to give up, they stayed in the city and they, they, they starved. And eventually, they, you know, those who were left were, were killed. But it's, um, it's you know, kind of, a, 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 again, a frightening thing. Verse 31 I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you. Here's the key verse, 33. 
I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths. Remember we were talking about Shemata? They didn't keep the, they didn't keep the Shemata, the seven years. Okay, the seven-year Sabbath. So he says here, Then the land shall enjoy its Shemata, its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. Verse 33, I will scatter you amongst the nations. Diaspora. I will remove you from Israel... Okay, and again, so when do we see that happening? The Assyrian, okay, invasion. The Assyrians came, they invaded the northern kingdom. Okay, you have the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and then you have Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom. So if you're reading through Chronicles or Samuel, you see there are kings from the northern kingdom and kings from the southern kingdom. Sometimes they were at war with each other. So the, the kings of the, uh, of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, the Assyrians, Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, comes down, they invade, and they take, what they did was they took the Israelites, okay, from Israel, of the ten tribes, and they dispersed them into the different areas, and you get a picture there of, of Carchemish and uh, Nineveh, you know, Asher, Babylon, and they disperse them there. And then what they do is they take people from those cities and those communities and they then placed them into the northern kingdom. Now, there were still some Jews there, so they intermarried. What did that produce? Who was, what were their names? Samaritans. So when you see, when you see the conflict, you know, they hated Jesus. That's Samaritans, right? He's going, through, he's going through Samaria. They're cursing him. They're yelling at him. Why? Because he's a Jew. They hated the Jews because the Jews said of the Samaritans, basically, you're half-breeds. You don't, you don't worship in Jerusalem. You don't worship at the temple. right? You have these, these false places of worship on these mountains here. They didn't believe in, you know, in, the, in, in the, the doctrine that was given in, you know, in the, in the uh, Tanakh, in the Old Testament. So there's this, again, there's this conflict there. The Jews really, I mean, they, they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman, right, she shocked. She shocked that you, a Jew, would talk to me a Samaritan and a woman. Because you didn't talk to a woman, but you didn't ever talk to a Samaritan. So there was this, this, this conflict. But that was, again, that was a diaspora, okay, that happened in 720 B.C. Isaiah is, is preaching about this all the time. Okay? Then, in, in between 605, say 605, 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian captivity. They destroy Jerusalem. They burn it to the ground. They, they destroy the temple. And you have the Jews then carried into Babylon. And then it happened again. When did it happen again? 70 AD, right? Titus and the Roman legions. Uh, you have the diaspora. And this is the diaspora that lasted for 1870 years. And so the Romans, they, they invade Israel, they invade Jerusalem, they lay siege to the city, and um, they basically burn the city to the ground, they destroy it, they burn the temple to the ground, we talk about this, right, they, they basically, just as Jesus said, not one stone was left upon another, because when they set the temple on fire against Titus's wishes, his generals set it on fire, the gold melted, it melted between the stones, and the Romans spent a number of years tearing those stones down and extracting all the gold from those stones. 
A million, 1.1 million Jews were killed, okay, in the attack of the Romans in 70 AD. 90,000 of them were carried into slavery, and a number of the other ones just ran into the, uh, you know, the, they ran into the wilderness and they escaped. But the Jews then, they're scattered throughout the Roman Empire and throughout the world. And they didn't return, right? With the exception of maybe a few, uh, you know, a few, you know, desert dwellers <laughs> until after World War II in 1945. I'll show you some things about that. The, the next curse is the curse of terror, verse 36 through 39. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts and the lands of their enemies. So now, you know, the Lord, you're, you're dispersed. And um, you're going to be in this, in this place of fear. The sound of shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from the sword. And they shall fall when no one pursues. They're in terror. And they shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Also in their father's iniquities which are with them, they shall waste away. I want to show you, I want to show you an interesting picture. This is, in all these little dots are Jewish cities, okay, where the Jews were expulsed from, an expulsion. They were, they were driven out of these cities, okay, throughout Europe. They also see there Russia, between 1100 and 1800. Those are, those are all the time. And if you, if you Google the, the dispersion of the Jews from cities in Europe... You will get a list. In fact, I, I, I would have to basically go through about eight pages of lists of cities where the Jewish people were driven out, okay, anti-Semitism, persecution, okay, between really the time and going all the way back to when the diaspora happened in 70 AD, really up, 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 and, up until just a very short time ago. And they're still being driven out. Right now in Russia, Jews are being persecuted. They're, try, they're trying to get out of Russia. So you have all of these different expulsions okay, that happened through, through history. You also have the Inquisition. And the Roman Catholic Church, right, they murdered, they murdered thousands and thousands of Jews. You know, they basically said you either convert to Catholicism or you die. By the way, they, they basically killed more evangelicals than Jewish people. Most people don't even realize that. They killed, they killed believers, Bible believers, who would not convert to Roman Catholicism. And you have, again, the Inquisition. And then you have the horror of the Holocaust. That's a, that's a horrible picture. But, you know, if you've never been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, you need to go. If you go to Israel, we always go to Yad Vashem. We see, we see what was done to the Jewish people. Six and a half million Jews were murdered right, by the Nazis, for one thing, for being Jewish. I just want to say this to you. I believe what happened to the Jewish people, their rejection of, of God, their rejection of Yeshua, of the Messiah, God removed his protective hand from them. And then the devil 
was basically able to do whatever he wanted to them. So I, I, I didn't look at it as this, as God did not create the Holocaust, obviously, but the protective hand of God. And this can happen in a believer's life, right? They can remove themselves from the protective hand of God by, you know, leaving the straight and narrow, and they put themselves in a place of, of jeopardy. And I, I think that is really what happened, you know, with Israel. But again, God, he, he made this clear, obey me and I'll bless you, Israel, disobey me and I will curse you. Had, had Israel received Messiah, things would have turned out very differently. He wanted them to be a light to the Gentiles, which they still were, the, the believers, the Jewish believers were. Now, the last part of the chapter deals with restoration. So, verse 40 through 46, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, I will remember, I will remember the land. And the land also shall be left empty by them, and I will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because of they, they despise my judgments because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and, law, and laws which the Lord made between himself and his children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. And again, that is a promise that if they would repent, God would restore them and God would bring them back. So there, there are essentially two returns. And this is where it can get a little confusing. There are two returns of Israel from diaspora. The, the first one, and I use this, this picture because we didn't have cameras there, but the Jewish people came back from the Babylonian diaspora in 538 B.C., that's when the return began. We talked about this past week, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27, the uh, return, okay, when Nehemiah was granted that he can go back and rebuild the wall, okay, in 444 B.C. That, that all, again, that all fits into the Jewish people then coming back from the Babylonian captivity. The second return from the diaspora, the Roman diaspora in 70 A.D., I, I, I'm going to give you a date, I believe happened right after World War II. And so, you know, it was 19, 1945 where the Jewish, and this is an actual picture of the Jewish people. After the Holocaust, the Jewish people began uh, to return. So I want to I show you this, this, that Jeremiah prophesied over and over again that, again, you're going to be dispersed into Babylon, but God is going to bring you back in 70 years. So it says in Jeremiah 20, verse 10, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. 
So again, it's, it's 538, the Jewish people begin to return from, again, the diaspora under the Babylonians that began, I tell you, 609, 605, that, that, you know, I wasn't there, but it was sometime that the historians and the Babylonian records tell us that happened. And you see the actual return in Ezra and Nehemiah. I'll read to you just briefly from Ezra. Now, in the, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, I just want you to to notice something here. Cyrus, king of Persia. And um, so now now we're in, this is like 400, we're like 490, 500 BC. Who predicted Cyrus 200 years before? Look at Isaiah chapter 46. And you see Cyrus. Cyrus was predicted... It's like 200, 200, 250 years before he ever came. And God calls him, God calls him his, he's his, he's his man, he's his agent. So he wasn't a believer, but God used him, directed the mind of Cyrus. So um, in verse 2 it says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, and this is Cyrus' decree, now for the Jewish people to return, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea, to rebuild the temple. Who is among you of, of, of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build a house of the Lord of Israel. He is God which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And so that's, again, that's the, the return after 70 years, as, as again, as was prophesied uh, by Jeremiah, and they returned to, uh, to rebuild. Now, the second, and there, there is a second return. And this is, again, where, where people, you know, get confused. After Titus and the Roman legions destroyed Jerusalem, the Jews were dispersed. And, and again, just as God, they were dispersed everywhere. <laughs> Folks, anywhere you go, you can find a Jew. I just want to, want to say that. You can, you, you can find a Jew in Australia. You'll find a Jew in New Zealand. You'll find a Jew in China. You'll find a Jew everywhere, okay? And um, in verse 11 and 12 of Isaiah 11, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again. Notice those three words that follow. The second time. There's a difference between the first return and the second return. I mean, you talk about God making it as clear as can be. To recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from uh, Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath, and notice this, and the islands of the sea... The Babylonian dispersion was not to the islands of the sea. Now, what are the islands of the sea? Great Britain, the United States, South America, North America, Australia, New Zealand. The Jewish people dispersed to all of those different places. 
He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So for 1,870 years, I want to just tell you, you read, you get into some of the Catholic theologians, some of the Reformed theologians, and you read about, hey, the Jewish people, right? In fact, if you were in those churches, you say, well, the Jewish people are going to be regathered again. Right? They're dispersed all over the world. They're being, they're being thrown out of every city. They're despised. They're hated. And if you said that in the Catholic Church, they would, they would call you a heretic. God is done with Israel. We are Israel. That's what their, their theology was. And you find that in Reformed theology too. That God, God is done with, the, he's done with Israel. He's done with the Jews. It's over. But the scripture said he would regather them again from the four corners of the earth. And right after World War II, after the Holocaust, right? Go, go and read Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. These valley of dry bones. You ever see them coming out of the, out of the death camps? A man who would, who would weigh 200 pounds was weighing 70 pounds if he was still you know, able to, to walk. And suddenly the Jewish people came back and they regathered in Israel, and Israel became a nation, born again. I believe it's May 14th, 1948, that Israel was born again. And uh, just, just as the prophecy said, and by the way, you, you understand that prophecy because I believe that fulfillment said a number of other things in process. We'll be looking at them on Sunday in these upcoming weeks from uh, Mark chapter 13. So I'll just, I'll just say this to you. All eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on Israel. Because he, he said Israel would be born a nation. Do you know what? In how many days? Do you know the prophecy? He said Israel would become a nation. A nation would be born in one day. That's unheard of. And Israel was born in one day. The, the, the agriculture in the country was going to flourish. It was a desert. It was just sparse and, and, and you know, it was deserted and desert. And that it would become this, this fruitful land of fruits and vegetables and agriculture and flowers. And it would be prosperous. And the Jewish people, they're still coming back. They're still coming back. The planes are still flying in. And they're still, they're still coming from the four corners of the earth being, being regathered. And there would be continuous hostility. They're, they're at war. They're at, they're at war continuously. They've been at war since 1948. You go to Israel, you see, you see people talking, they, they walk around with Uzis. They walk, they walk around with, you know, with M16s. And, uh, they're, they're just, and you see the young girls, the young girls in the, in the army, these 18-year-old girls, there they are with their, with their rifles. But they're prepared. They're constantly prepared because they're always on edge, because they're surrounded by 70 million people who would like to kill them and drive them into the Mediterranean Sea. Not everyone, not every Arab or every Muslim, but, but many. And so it, you know, Israel, Israel is, 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 is it's a miracle. The Hebrew language restored. No language has ever been lost in history and then restored. And the prophecy is, is that the Hebrew language would be restored in the last days. And then that nation would experience a spiritual rebirth. 
And that nation in that spiritual rebirth would have 144,000 missionaries who will go out into the world proclaiming the gospel during the tribulation period. Where do I know that from, right? Revelation 7. But we haven't seen the rebirth of Israel yet, right? We've seen, we've seen the material, political rebirth of Israel. We haven't seen the spiritual rebirth of Israel yet. But that is very soon to come. I believe when he comes and he snatches out the church, the rapture happens. Then you have, it's, it's, it's Jacob's trouble. The seven years of tribulation. The church isn't mentioned. It's Israel's time. And then this anointing, and I think that's when Jewish people, these these. these Jewish, these devout Jewish people that you see, right? These Orthodox Jewish people who, who, who love, they love the Torah. Right? They, they love Tanakh. And then they're going to recognize that Yeshua was their Messiah. And they get born again. And they get filled with the Spirit. And you're going to have 144,000 little Apostle Pauls going out into all the world, bringing the gospel to all. The gospel will be preached to the whole world before his glorious appearing. So uh, we are living we are living close to these times. Be ready and, and watch. I had two Jewish men. I, I, I worked with a, with a company. I sat on the board for a number of years and there were two Orthodox Jewish men, very devout Orthodox Jewish men. And um, they studied, they would get up and study Tanakh from 7 o'clock to 12 o'clock before they would run their businesses. And they were both multimillionaires in the businesses that they were in. They were in the insurance business. And, uh, but they would study every day, seven days a week. They would, they would go to synagogue and they would study. You talk about devotion. From, from 7 in the morning until 12 in the afternoon. Just study, they, they studied Tanakh. And I got, I got to know one of them, Abraham. I really like him. He was just a wonderful, warm-hearted, great guy. And I got to know him. And uh, one day I said to him, Do you believe that Yeshua could be Messiah. And he looked at me and he said, he could be. Now, if he said that in the Jewish community, he'd be stoned. But there, there, were, Jewish, there were Jewish people who, they're coming around. The Spirit, the spirit is, is moving and he's working. The head rabbi in Israel back 20 years ago when he died, he left a letter. And in the letter, he basically said, you can find it, you can find it on YouTube. And uh, he said that he had come to believe that Yeshua was the Messiah. The head rabbi. This is the head rabbi of, of, of like the, he's, a, he's like the high priest of Judaism. And he said he believed that Yeshua is the Messiah. So, um, just all lies, right? All lies on Israel. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask, Lord God, your blessing Lord God, upon us, the appreciation, Lord God, of Israel. And you have said that I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And Lord God, we have had a great appreciation for Israel in our hearts and the Jewish people. We know you're not done with them, Lord. We know you've got a purpose for them. We know there's going to be a great rebirth of Israel, Lord God, in the last days. And we pray for Israel. We pray for the Jewish people that, Lord God, that they would turn to you and they would give their hearts to your Son, Yeshua, the Hamashiach, their Messiah, 
and our Messiah. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can all stand with me.
Lord God. 